Hello, this is a strange time to be a taxpayer advocate with governments across the world, including New Zealand, forking out substantial amounts in economic relief packages. We're talking billions, in some cases trillions, of packages to tide businesses over while they deal with government-mandated lockdowns. To make sense of this, we're joined by Joe Ascroft, who's an economist who's consulted with the Taxpayers' Union. We're also joined by a special guest, Daniel Bunn, from a think tank based in the US called the Tax Foundation. Now, the Tax Foundation has been tracking the response of governments across the world to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, but first, Joe, I wondered if you could talk us both through uh, the the range of economic measures the New Zealand government has taken so far. So... In the middle of March, once things started getting underway and it became clear that the whole country was going to go into lockdown, the government announced a range of different measures um, to, I suppose, tide the economy over during the period of the pandemic. There was a wage subsidy program whereby people who couldn't work would effectively be paid around $600 for full-time workers, uh, about $350 for part-time workers every week, uh, basically ensure people could meet their cost of living when the government shut the whole economy down. Uh, that was estimated to cost $5.1 billion, uh, but they expanded the scheme, and as of yesterday, $6.6 billion had been paid out so far. There's also a variety of other changes. Uh, the government made some changes with the tax system to ensure businesses could put off tax payments effectively for the rest of the year. There were some minor changes to building depreciation. And then there were a few other changes as well. So the government announced funding for the aviation sector. There was $2.8 billion allocated for increasing benefits and doubling the winter energy payment, which is just a lump sum payment that uh, pensioner households or, or beneficiary households receive each month over winter. So really a mix of different things. The whole aim of the package mostly was to really keep the economy going the next few months as we experience um, the pandemic. So the wage subsidies only allocated out for 12 weeks. In reality, they probably can't go too much longer than 12 weeks because of just how expensive the package is. So $6.6 billion paid out just so far. I mean, it would be not unimaginable that that package could grow to, if the government wants to do it for a year, $30 billion, which is obviously just untenable. Clearly, some of the changes probably are on the more ideological end of things. Was it necessary for the government to increase benefits given, well, beneficiary households probably aren't experiencing substantial changes in income? I think a lot of people would argue no. A lot of people were also disappointed to see the government went through with its minimum wage changes, which I think it's safe to say a lot of hospitality businesses, a lot of other small businesses will be deeply concerned about given the um, threats to their business already. For sure. Now, Daniel, first talk us through what the Tax Foundation's actual project has been in terms of tracking these responses, and as well as just any broad themes or different styles of economic approaches that you've observed. So when this uh, crisis really came into force, uh, we started to see different countries using different fiscal policy measures uh, like you've seen in New Zealand, um, to different extents and in and, and different ways. And we decided to start keeping track of it at first um, just to, as a blog to say what countries are doing. Then as the crisis grew and as countries' individual responses grew, we started doing uh, broader updates and expanding the scope of countries that we were tracking. 
The main themes across the globe are tax filing and payment delays. Um, there's some targeted tax relief and then broad fiscal relief aimed at supporting businesses that currently do not have customers uh, and workers who are uh, being encouraged to stay home from their jobs. The size of the relief varies a lot, but those are the general themes. Now, the targeted tax relief is probably where you see the most variety at the moment. You can look at Norway, which has a multi-rate VAT system similar to goods and services tax. Um, and a lot of European countries have multiple rates, a standard rate, a reduced rate, and even you know zero-rated uh, items. Norway has reduced its 12% uh, reduced rate. It's reduced that three times below 12%. So it's, it's gone from 12 to 8, and then 8 to 7, most recently from 7 to 6. And this targeted VAT relief could be beneficial if you want to lower the tax burden on consumption. But the special rate reductions in Norway apply to cultural and sporting events and transportation services. So you know maybe the government thinks people are spending their time at home buying concert tickets for the summer or fall, but it's really narrow policy. Like, like in New Zealand, lots of countries are providing relief for workers with reduced hours or sorts of wage subsidies. And some countries have been a bit more innovative, providing tax credits, changing future losses into current tax credits. Yes. Joe, I might get you to reflect on that. We certainly in New Zealand haven't heard any discussion of cutting the GST rate, or at least not that I've seen. Is that something mm. that could be on the cards? Um, would that be a sensible measure? Or do you think there are other uh, more targeted areas of tax relief that we have seen or could see? I, I'm in two minds. I see some commentators, Michael Rodell's argued for a temporary reduction in the GST rate. I'm quite weary of of messing with GST. I, I think we should be thankful that clearly, unlike Norway, we just have an across-the-board system where the same rate applies to everything. So the system's relatively clean. And I'd be concerned that the revenue cost of reducing GST right now would be pretty substantial when we're taking on quite a bit of debt compared to the stimulus benefit that you might get. So I feel like the government might be a little better place to start looking to, say, income taxes to cut or um, or changing the rules around depreciation to make it uh, easier for businesses to invest in capital might be better places to start. I suppose I'd be wary that politically the government would ever be able to increase the rate of GST again afterwards if it, say, cut GST to 10% or 12.5% for the time being. Yes. Well, Daniel, it seems there are two broad options for relief. Um, in New Zealand, we've certainly seen an increase in spending through wage subsidies. Does the Tax Foundation have general advice for governments that are trying to choose between a, a subsidy approach or a stimulus approach as compared to a tax relief approach? Or are, is, it, is it more a bit of a moot point between the two? So I think it is important to be distinguishing between um, what you might think of stimulus policies versus relief policies. The economies around the world are being shut down uh, kind of on purpose at the moment. So stimulus isn't the right approach. Um, it is tax relief providing support for, for businesses um, that are losing income in this, in, in this time period and for workers who, who may also be losing income. Um, so, you know, with that with that relief, it, you know, it should be broad based, but it should be also in keeping with longer term policy, uh, like Joe was mentioning, uh, providing uh, depreciation allowances for businesses um, that may be 
interested in, in uh, continuing investing or an opportunity for an uptick in investment on the other side of the crisis. Policymakers should also use this opportunity to fix distortive tax policies that could impede recovery efforts. I completely agree with you, Joe, that the New Zealand GST being as broad as it is probably isn't something you want to be playing around with. I think the Norwegian example shows how those different carve-outs and, and things like that can become different levers that policymakers want to play with, but may not have the uh, intended long-term effect. I'm just quite keen to bounce off something that Daniel said there, which I think is really important, and a lot of commentators have missed at home in New Zealand, that this package and the packages overseas aren't really stimulus packages in their true sense, and that really they're designed to allow households and firms to survive while the government deliberately shuts down the economy. I saw one commentator online comment that this was almost like attempting to cryogenically freeze the economy with the with the desperate hope that you could possibly unfreeze the economy later on and that we're really just going through this point of stasis. I suspect in New Zealand, the, the stimulus, I suppose, because I think a recession is, is inevitable, obviously. All the major banks are expecting unemployment to rise um, in the coming months will actually come later. If, if you look at the package right now, it really does seem to be ensuring that people can make their mortgage payments, they can put food on the table, but not a lot more, really. Whether that whether that stimulus later on is, is desirable or undesirable, or as Daniel says, might interfere with efforts to remove long-running distortions in the, uh, in the tax base will, will be another question entirely, I suspect. Daniel, in terms of the scale of these responses, uh, I would assume that the Tax Foundation has seen quite a broad variation. Uh, is the Tax Foundation giving warnings as to the scale in terms of simply how far different countries should be willing to drive up their debt with these relief measures? So the uh, we haven't put out warnings per se. I think it's, it's important to uh, think through um, what the debt load will be um, and what policy measures should be taken following the crisis in the context of a sort of recovery. Uh, it will be important for governments to focus on policies that support growth rather than immediately pivoting to tax heights that you know would support the new level of spending. Hopefully, these spending levels are temporary and prudent public finances in the context of a growing economy will be sufficient to make the debt sustainable. But a lot of countries are facing, you know, serious budget pressures, especially in Europe. You're, they're reminders of the budget crises from the last decade. And the challenge will be allowing these countries to either maintain certain uh, debt levels for the short run while also shifting back into um, higher gear for growth, but also recognizing that um, not, not everyone can run these, uh, these high deficits forever for the U.S., you know, there's talk of uh, deficits um, being, you know, upwards of uh, 10% of GDP or, or higher, depending on how, how long this relief program runs on. And depending on what uh, our creditors look at when those, uh, those numbers come in, it may have to uh, generate a lot of creative policy thinking. There's not a national sales tax in the U.S. We don't have a goods and services tax at the federal level. Um, and for many years, people have been talking about what it would take for the U.S. to adopt 
uh, a sort of uh, new revenue source because income taxes at the federal level are, well, they're just generally a vol- more volatile revenue base. So that's one of the things that might come up in the policy conversation is what sources of new revenue countries might need to rely on. And the choice policymakers will need to make is how you design those new rev- revenue tools in the context of also supporting growth and recovery, not choking off the recovery for the sake of higher taxes. Could you give an example of some of those types of new revenue sources that the Tax Foundation is looking at? So I think one of the things in the U.S. context that you have to consider, I already mentioned consumption taxes. Um, Another thing that uh, has has come up um, is broadening sort of personal income tax base or or looking at ways to um, broaden what we call payroll taxes. And the conversation around carbon taxes has come up again. Uh, This is something that the U.S. hasn't um, really made any political headway on in recent years. But when people are talking about you know, ways to generate new resources um, or new revenue resources, it's one of the things that, that regular, regularly comes up. Um, beyond those, um, you're looking at, like I said, a relatively more volatile tax base than you have in a lot of OECD countries. The U.S. relies relatively more on income taxes, which during a downturn and a recovery, um, they're the taxes that fall off the cliff the farthest. Uh, and they're the slowest to recover. So if without serious examination of new revenue tools, uh, it's possible that these large deficits could persist uh, without serious spending reforms, which I think also needs to be part of the conversation. Like I said, these spending levels, uh, in order for them to be sustainable in any country, um, they need to be temporary. Um, And that's, you know, one of the challenges here is knowing when, when to turn off some of these fiscal measures. Joe, how well placed is New Zealand in terms of our revenue sources and in terms of the likelihood of spiking debt? Well, I think there's a couple of things there. The first thing is that GST is a pretty stable revenue source, and we should be lucky that we have that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, our corporate tax will completely just fall off a cliff this year, and we'll lose a lot of that revenue. But GST will you know, keep ticking along, which helps a lot. We're also lucky that public debt is just so low in New Zealand, which I think is, I mean, you know, this government spent a lot on a lot of wasteful programs, but in the great scheme of things, when you look internationally, has kept debt very low. We're about 20% of GDP. So our ability to weather the storm is, I mean, significantly better than most other countries overseas. So we could... I think comfortably spend up to 40-50% debt as a percentage of GDP and would probably feel pretty good coming out of this. And that would be, you know, substantial, that would be substantial amounts of spending, $20, $30 billion. So broadly, you, you two seem to be on the same page in terms of the appropriateness of governments taking on extra debt during this crisis. But is there a, a concern that this could be something of a costs plus mentality? Is this also an opportunity or a reason for governments to actually reduce spending in certain areas? Uh, Daniel, what, what could that look like? So that that's a really critical question. Um, and I think one of the challenges here is figuring out what those reprioritizations um, kind of look like. I think, as uh, Joe mentioned, um, you know, for, for some countries like New Zealand coming into the crisis with public finances in decent shape, uh, it's allowed for more flexibility with that response. A lot of other countries aren't in that position 
and they should have been making um, better fiscal choices, you know, in over the past decade um, or the past um, decades plural. One of the things that you see a lot in in developed countries um, and particularly in, in Western Europe um, is high level of uh, public spending on on pensioners and the uh, different re- retirement programs that are uh, funded uh, by governments and addressing those kind of fiscal imbalances is 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 really difficult politically uh, and it's possible that there will need to be some more um, kind of uh, attention paid to those those spending levels coming out of, out of the crisis especially for countries that uh, may have their creditors get a little bit uh, wary of them um, with the high debt levels that they they face but again that's that's an incredibly challenging political discussion but um, this crisis may create uh, kind of uh, interesting opportunities for policy changes. Yeah, Joe, jo, what are some of those opportunities for New Zealand? I mean, there are some obvious ones. The Provincial Growth Fund, obviously, which has been flagged as a jobs program for years, even while unemployment sits at historically low levels, could now be re-engineered to actually support employment productively by allocating the money away from simple grants out to businesses and towards cutting taxes for business. That would obviously be helpful in terms of, I suppose, accelerating the recovery. What that could look like, I mean, I think you'd have to be careful with simply changing the headline corporate rate because of how our our tax system works, where businesses based domestically effectively get taxed at the personal rate. But I think changing some of the tax rules around investment could be a big help. My worry is that There is a perception politically in New Zealand that the way we got through the last crisis was was basically austerity. That is, that the the key English government just cut back benefits um, aggressively and cut back spending aggressively, where in reality, the the austerity, I suppose, scare quotes that we experienced in New Zealand was nothing like what was experienced in the UK and, and other countries overseas. So my worry is that heading into this recession, there'll be a view that oh, no, we did austerity last time. That was socially disastrous. Let's instead not cut back anything, not make changes in the public sector, and instead use this as an opportunity to grow programs, increase hiring, um, increase public spending. So, yep, a lot of great opportunities to cut the fat and reallocate that money into, um, I think, productive tax changes. But at least right now, I don't see that as likely. Okay. And finally, just looking at the scale of, of the spending and how thick and fast these announcements are coming uh, in terms of not just across the board relief, but also targeted relief. Is there a risk, a risk Daniel, that there'll be an element of vested interests that are able to capture some of these relief measures? Uh, at what point does this relief stop being relief and start being targeted corporate welfare? I think that's a, a, a timing question. Obviously, the mandated lockdowns are hurting businesses, and, and it makes sense for government to provide assistance to businesses so that they don't go uh, bankrupt because of the economic shutdown. But the line between assistance and kind of captured relief uh, lies in the temporary or semi-temporary or potentially permanent, hopefully, but hopefully not, nature of the policies. Um, at some point after the crisis, these support mechanisms should be turned off. Or, or left standing for another rainy day. Uh, keeping businesses on life support long after the crisis is where you start to see how a permanent 
how, how permanent a temporary program can be. So uh, it's up to policymakers and the public uh, to follow through on commitments to provide relief now and re- return things to normal when that time comes. Yeah, Joe, in New Zealand, are we seeing any warning signs of um, cases where this relief is actually more corporate welfare? Um, I don't I, I don't think so on the corporate side of things. At least for now, the time-limited nature of the wage subsidies, I think most people would argue is reasonable. I think some people might argue that maybe the wage subsidies shouldn't have been expanded beyond small, medium-sized companies. So initially, there were hard limits on the the amount of wage subsidies that could go to companies, and therefore large companies just simply couldn't receive the relief. relief. So that cap was limited, and some companies have, have taken in quite literally tens of millions of dollars of subsidies. So maybe some people could argue that was corporate welfare, but in reality, in, in relation to what Daniel was saying, you know, these are time limited for the duration of, of the shutdown. So that seems fine. I think maybe maybe not corporate welfare, but I think a lot of people would be concerned that the government is increasing headline welfare payment rates. You could argue that, well, look, we're going to see more unemployment over the next little while, so maybe that's uh, helpful to put a little bit of extra money in people's pockets, but I, I don't think I don't think that gels really. It's a stable source of income. There's no real need to increase that rate. Yes, well, I know the Taxpayers Union has been overall welcoming of the government's wage subsidy program, but we are slowly and steadily getting a little bit more concerned, and we'll be scrutinising. It's definitely some of the permanent changes, the benefit increase, uh, but we're also on the lookout for examples of corporate welfare, and we'll certainly be monitoring that on future episodes of Taxpayer Talk. So I really want to thank both of you for joining us, uh, especially Daniel. I can tell that it's a huge project you guys are undertaking, tracking every country in the world. So thank you so much. Thank you, Louis. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.